0: hello and welcome to season two of the performance rising podcast i am joined by chris taylor head men's soccer coach at Plattsburgh, uh, and glad to have you back chris looking forward to this conversation
1: yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, obviously, we've all got a little bit of time on our hands, so it's uh, it's a good time to talk.
0: Yes, for sure, we all have plenty of time, uh, for good and bad, but time is not an issue right now. Uh, so Chris, uh, first of all, congratulations on the upcoming impending birth of your uh, child. Do we know the sex yet? Yeah, yeah, boy. Wow, boy. congrats. Yeah, that's yeah thank you. Uh, we were just briefly chatting before we started recording um What a great time to have paternity leave! Get to be with your son yeah. as much as you want.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think uh, at first that sounds like a good thing, but I think uh, you know as you get into it, you're probably going to be screaming for a break. But now we're 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 excited. You know, it'll be it'll be good.
0: Congratulations again. So, Chris, we're going to get right into it. Um, I know you certainly have a lot of stuff going on. Um, but to start, why don't you give us a brief update on how your season went, and specifically how your culture performed?
1: Yeah, I mean, our season was, was really interesting and, and probably could have been a case study for, you know, a, a lot of different people, depending on what you're looking for. But we we set out and we had um, a really strong schedule this year. We, we were playing good teams um, and that's what we like to do, you know, and I know our conference in particular SUNYAC conference a lot of teams pride themselves on doing that so we're not alone um, but with that comes risk and challenges and, and you know we didn't start out too well we were at one point I think we were two and six or two and five um, but we felt we were playing well and we just maybe didn't have the finishing touches to to beat some of the top teams in the country and um, you know we played several teams in the NCAA tournaments and stuff like that and, and the players were almost like like sitting there and, and obviously when you're not winning you, you're worried that everyone's going to start going off message a little bit and start doubting And, and but the players were terrific they were like no we're, we're with you we, we're doing the right things we just need to do it better and we need to maybe adjust a few things here or there and um, and then we got into conference play and went on a, a I think it was eight games undefeated, um, where we didn't even concede a goal. And the second after season was terrific. You know, we we made it to the conference final. We finished second in the league. We we lost Swansea on to only eventually, but um, you know, th- the experience I had with the players this year was something I've never been through in my short career um seeing their ownership of the entire situation was, was amazing. We, you know, we had a leadership group of six players and their contributions to things was, was amazing. When we went on the run, it wasn't anything we did as a, as a coaching staff. It wasn't anything tactically. It wasn't anything like that. It was player ownership. It was, it was one or two players in particular that decided this, is how things were going to go and everybody jumped on board with them and we kept saying to the players you guys are driving this you know everybody else you just need to get in the passenger seats and let these guys drive you forward and that is so rewarding to see um, and we had ups and downs where sometimes there were days where we didn't think it was going to turn around and and some players you know the, the guys who were driving things were aggressive about it they were you know it wasn't all patting everyone on the back saying we're going to be alright sometimes there was some there some uh, rough conversations between players between players and coaches um but i think we created a culture where people felt they could speak freely and i remember one day in particular where um you know myself and probably our best player had a disagreement in training in front of everyone and you know it wasn't wasn't pretty um and a lot of people for i don't know why but they they thought I was going to kick him off the team. And he wasn't disrespectful in any way. He was just vocal. And uh, him and I had a great conversation after it. And, and, you know, I think it was the actual turning points in our season because they saw that we valued opinion and they saw that we um, were willing to to adapt and you know let people be themselves and and so it was a roller coaster. I, I loved every minute of it, especially when you're going on a winning streak and, and we felt unbeatable, we felt unstoppable. So it was challenging. It was it was fun, and and I learned I learned a lot.
0: Yeah, so we talk a lot about psychological safety on this podcast. And what you're describing is actually the essence of psychological safety, right? It's it's often confused as um, everyone feels safe, no one argues, everything's calm and placid. But it's actually the opposite. It's, as you described, this is a safe space to have real authentic conversations, even if we disagree. And it's safe to have that conversation. It's safe to voice that opinion without fear that, you know, you're going to get punished. So I'm going to hold you to the fire a little bit. And you said you didn't have anything to do with that. And I don't agree with it whatsoever. What I'm curious about is how did you create that environment? You know, and was it just a thing that happened this year or have you been intentionally creating that all along?
1: No, no, I don't think it's something I've created all along because I've, I've been on a journey myself, you know, being a Clarkson and uh, before Plattsburgh, I, I took over a program that had very little success in a long period of time. You know, I took over a team that had won uh, three games in two years. And so, you know, I controlled everything. One of my flaws is is the control freak, you know, and and a a struggle to let people in, a struggle to let you know people do the jobs, and that's something I've I've worked on over a period of time. So I think this was probably the first time that I'd let players take as much of a lead, and and I felt I had you know one of the challenges of Plattweg that I've had since I've been here is is dealing with really strong personalities and me being okay with that, me adjusting to that. And, and we had two players in particular this year that um, their personalities were extremely strong, aggressive, um, forthright, And, you know, at first, I think I was maybe a bit challenged by that, but I learned to love it. And, and you know, I said, when we lost at the end of the season in the Suniac final, I went over to one of them and I just thanked them for everything he'd done for me and for the team because without them, Without him challenging me and pushing me and allowing um, me to kind of open up a little bit and let him take the lead, we wouldn't have got where we where we got to. So maybe by giving people freedom, you know, I think I mentioned our leadership group. Uh, I think my communication with play, people like that went up tenfold. We talked two, three times a week. Every major decision I made, I let them into it. And and I said to them, this is the inner sanctum, you know, I'm going to say some things that you can't, you can't go telling everyone we talked about it. There's got to be a trust here. And if I'm going to let you in on the decision making, you've got to back that up by being trustworthy. And and some things you got to keep to yourselves, it's got to stay in this room. Um, But if you can do that, you'll be letting on, on some of the insights and what our thinking is. And by doing that, we allowed a couple of people you know, to, to drive decisions. And, and they went against conventional wisdom and I was leaning one way and they said, no, 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 this is, we, we don't agree with that and this is why. And we had some great constructive conversations. We had arguments, we had agreements, disagreements, and, and, you know, having players that were felt they could voice their opinions and challenge us. And and it wasn't always you guys are wrong. It was, well, why you know, why would you do that? I think this way. And we we met in the middle a lot of times and it was it was really rewarding to do that. And, you know, one of the worries I, I have going forward is we lose two really strong personalities and you can't you, you can't have someone just change and become that and um, so i'm i'm really curious about in the future where our conversations who's going to drive those conversations with us as as coaches
0: so i'm going to applaud you and i got to congratulate you for having the bravery the humility and the vulnerability to give that power away because that is against the conventional coach stereotype especially in this country which in large part has been formed by you Know the football coach stereotype, uh, which is the coach is always right, that's not easy to do. Uh, and the fact, no, that you've no been able I
1: to mean, and uh, sorry to cut you off there, but um, no, it, it was hard, and it, and it is hard, and you know, especially when you when you're coaching this age group in college, you you want to come off as as the the know it all, you know, you want to have an answer to every situation and it's just not possible. Um and I, I do think that the players maybe respected that. Um and again when the players have a little bit of ownership and they feel like they've had a hand in some of the decision making they maybe want it to work a little bit more than if they're just being told this is how it's gonna be. You know, they they felt they had a, a bit of skin in the game and we've got to help this work and we've got to make this work, and we're gonna we're gonna help other people um, make this decision work for us.
0: Did you know about these leadership qualities when you brought these guys in, or have they all kind of emerged in their own right? Well,
1: I actually didn't recruit most of the players on the team, I only yes, recruited the freshmen. So I inherited those players and I'll be honest, initially they were, they, and I've told the players this, they were seen as almost troublemakers because of it. Um, because they were vocal, because they were uh, opinionated. And and I saw them as, as a handful initially, but I think we harnessed it and we learned to embrace it. And we used it as a strength going forward, as opposed to being scared of it. Um, and, and, I, you know, I, I've been very honest about my first season at Plattsburgh being nowhere near what I thought it was going to be or what I wanted it to be. And I think it's because I didn't harness those types of qualities. I think I tried to put them in the corner. And the change we made this year was, no, you know... um, these are the qualities that make them good players. Um, they've got bravery. They're willing to take on situations. They wanted the ball in the in the big situations. They wanted the team to look to them, for answers. So why wouldn't we encourage that? Why wouldn't we let them be them instead of trying to make them something that we wanted them to be and make everyone easy? You know.
0: How did you come to this place? Because you, as you said last season, and I understand that having been taking over programs, right? There is this need or drive to change, 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 change. You want to identify yourself as a coach. You want to identify your program as yours. But what you're saying is you change from season to season. So what led to that change?
1: Um, I think, you know, I'm still a very young coach, to be honest. And, you know, my first head coaching job, I was 25 years old, you know. So I think I've changed every season and I think you've got it. I think, you know, especially at our level, at the college level, we have such a long off-season. You spend most of your time, you know, hopefully trying to develop yourself and that leads to change. Um, But I do think what happened was we started out with a small leadership group. It was only four players and it was the model citizens, the great lads, top students, the guys you know you can trust. Um, And we kind of talked to them. We said, listen, you know, there's player A and player B who – for better or worse, can can be a handful. Not everything is is all roses with them. If they don't like something, they're going to say it, and they're hard on people and all that. And you know, I I actually thought the players struggled with that with those players, and, and the guys who were in our leadership group said, no, we actually like that about them. At least we know where we stand. And so we brought them into the leadership group because they were easily two our two best players. Um, and I said, listen, I think it's probably better that we keep them closer to us, um so we can help again, harness and maybe control their message. And I think it just organically grew. It wasn't like I sat there one day and said, all right, it's time to unleash these two. I think I just got more comfortable and realized that they did have good ideas. They just maybe needed a better um, way of articulating them. And I think they needed um, help communicating. And they needed to, you know, they both came from the idea of, well, you know, this strategy works to motivate me, so I'm going to use it with you. And we tried to help them of not everyone you know, responds to the stick. Some people need the carrot. Um, and and they met us halfway and it wasn't all perfect. Again, we had several disagreements where I was like, you're being too hard on people. Um, and, I, and I said to one of them in particular, I said, you know, you're so hard on everyone all the time. And most of the time everyone's okay with it. But I said, do you know what a compliment from you would do to someone's confidence? I said, Someone, most players on our team have never heard you say anything good. You know, and if you tell them, you know, that was all right, don't even have to tell them that was amazing. Hey, what you did was all right, though they'll be, you know, on cloud nine. And so I said be be aware that your communication and your um ability to of the base goes in all different directions. Don't just don't limit yourself to one because you're better than that. And and again, it wasn't any conscious decision. It wasn't like we said, okay, start on Monday, we're going to let them do this. Uh, I think they rose to the challenge. I think we enjoyed watching them rise to the challenge and it just organically grew from there.
0: Chris, you're hitting some serious psychological high notes here. And it goes back to my belief that, you know, the best coaches in America, even if you don't have a lengthy psychological background, uh, you intuit it, you feel the power of human connection. And in this case, you felt, um, again, what, what psychologists would, would f- focus on right away of empowering other people, but at the same time of, of channeling that perceived negative energy and empowering that person to change, to see the value in changing. So I just giving you high fives, man.
1: High five! Yeah, no, I appreciate it, and uh, you know, uh, we used the negative energy too. You know, at some point, we had to tell the players that you know you've got to take criticism. It wasn't all about we have to change these guys to always tell you doing well because we did have some people saying, "God, you know, they won't get off my back and all that." And we had to tell some players, "Well, it's time to step up as well. It's not, it's not going to be this environment where you only get spoken to when it's good. You've got to, you've got to respond to that challenge of you know this player expects more of you." This player knows you can do better, and and you know I think sometimes we can be guilty of thinking about a culture where everyone gets along and everyone's great and it's a this big family. But families fight, families argue, and families have expectations. And and we we told some players in no uncertain terms that you're not you're not fulfilling the expectations of of the program and and your teammates. And so you know it, it went both ways. I think we we got the main part of the squad to realize that, yeah, expectations are a good thing and you've got it, we're going to be demanding, but we got some other guys just to dish out some positive encouragement when people didn't expect it. And and I think it it all just kind of came together and and, and worked.
0: Yeah. I want to go back to something you said about the family metaphor. Uh, And I see this a lot in sport and something that fascinates me. And it fascinates me because, you know, a family represents unconditional love. And so much of athletics is judgment, right? It's conditional love in the sense there's people that perform, there's people that don't perform, right? There's a judgment. If you perform at a high level, you get playing time. If you don't, so do you really believe in the family metaphor and have you cultivated that in the sense that regardless of who you are and what you do, you get love? Or is it more of a business where if you don't perform, you know, you don't,
1: you don't get the spoils of that? Um, you know, it's, uh, I think originally I probably would have said, you know, kind of what you're saying. If you're performing, we're all about you. If you're not, we're, we're almost, you know, you can almost ignore people, which is a, a hard thing to say. But we went through an injury crisis right around when um, conference play started. And we went out to Brock Geneseo, which is notoriously, I believe, the hardest trip in the league. Um and we, we ended up beating Geneseo and um, we were down one nil with 18 seconds to play and we tied the game up and then we won in double overtime with nine seconds left. Um, and we did that with three of our starting back four on the sideline injured from during the game. And so we were on high um, of the game, but then we knew we had to go to Brockport the next day. who'd kicked our backside twice the year before. And uh, I really think is the hardest place to play. And, we ended up playing guys in the game against Brockport that hadn't had minutes all season that, you know, hadn't played in two years that I would probably say we're at the end of our roster in terms of depth chart, and they just rose to the task. And then, you know, from there, we, I believe we started to trust players a little bit more and we threw people into the fire and people just stepped up through necessity and, I think that really led to everybody feeling valued. I think teammates start to see, oh my, you know, we can trust him. We can trust that he'll play today. Um, whereas before, if we did just put them in when everyone was healthy, they'd probably been like, what are you doing? This guy's better. This guy's better. But ultimately, I think we got to a point where it was like, doesn't matter what day it is doesn't matter who we're playing where we're playing who's injured who's not if you're on our team you've got a value and you'll step up that day and and we uh, as coaches we played that up we we went every day with it it you never know when it's your opportunity and you know we played Brockport is a team that is really physical really good in the air really good in the box and we ended up with like a, a you know, we had our right back at centre back, we had uh, a five foot two right back and a five foot three winger at left back, and we were just getting bombarded. We were one nil up and we were getting bombarded. And I made a joke that I think Gary at Brockwell called every six foot four play- person on campus and threw them on the pitch because we just felt so outmatched. But the guys just found a way to win the game. And we had little guys winning headers over six foot two guys just through heart and desire. Um, and we came away from that game saying, there's, there's, no matter what situation we walk into, we know we've got the players to deal with it, and and I think the the faith and the value of everyone just shot up from there, and it, it carried on throughout the rest of the season. This is so cool.
0: I'm really I'm really happy for you to have this, and I'm sure you know how fragile it can be. And uh, most Absolutely. of the time, it's not this. I mean, there there are some few instances in life where you get this kind of buzz and energy and when it happens you know grab a hold of it as much as you can
1: yeah i mean you know and and going back to that that weekend a lot because we felt that was a really pivotal weekend at geneseo we would have felt hard done by if we didn't win the game we felt we played well and felt we were the better team at brockport we probably had no business winning the game and so you know we know it's fragile. You know, we, we rolled our luck. We had great goalkeeping that day. Um, and we finished like one of two chances, you know, on another day, we would have lost. So we, we know that type of thing is fragile and we can't think that it's going to be like that every time. Um, but you know, I think in sport moments and, um, feelings during those moments can, can be constructed to, to take you a long way, you know, and, and you remember that feeling and you want that feeling, um, you know, more more often than not.
0: Yeah. So as a Geneseo grad, I just want to say that your win was probably a fluke.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, And the
0: sun was probably in the goalkeeper's eyes. But Chris, I'm I'm curious, I'm so curious. Having the experience that you had, have you given any thought to how you keep or perpetuate this cultural evolution?
1: Yeah, I've given a lot of thought to it and I don't have an answer to be honest, because I think that It's going to be the challenge and I think we've got to continue to empower the players um, to push each other and and i don't think we're always going to be fortunate enough to have two players that drive everyone so hard every year um you know we were uh, we're going to miss those guys who were able to do that and i don't think you can construct that in a player um i think that's something that you again you just kind of allow them to do and allow them to be themselves so it's going to be a challenge it's it's 100% going to be a challenge but um i think we're going to use Hopefully, in the in the short term future, we're going to use stories and, and memories of what this just did to remind people of how it can happen, um, and hope that they pick up on that, and hope that they use those um, to to continue that sort of thing. But uh, I do think that that those sorts of things are extremely fragile, and you can't just let it happen or expect it to happen because it won't. You've got to, and and you know, next year we might have to use a new tactic. We we can't rely on saying, okay, this week, last year, let's do it again. And, you know, I, I think we've got to, allow things to organically happen at times, but again, as coaches, can we harness it and figure out what we think is going to work and, and embrace it. And it won't always be, um, two driving forces of, of strong personalities. It could be more collaboration. It could be more uplift and it could be, it could be anything, but we, as coaches, we've got to be able to spot it and, and, um, harness it and cultivate it to be honest.
0: Yeah. That's so well said. If you had a slogan or a metaphor, to describe this past season and the culture you had this past season could be an image, could be a saying, could be words. What, what would that be?
1: Um, you know, uh, that's a really good question. Um, uh, I just think that the feeling of unity um, I've never felt that before within one team I've had close teams before um, at Clarkson we had teams that nobody ever thought we were any good but we kept upsetting the apple cart a little bit and just taking one more step one more step and getting a little bit better and we took players that nobody else wanted or nobody else thought could do much and we, we I like to think we allowed them to do things and prove people wrong but then at Plattsburgh, the expectation came um, and I think I expectation can sometimes drive fear and can drive um selfishness and can drive um Almost just look after yourself, um, but I think we put that to the side and just unity was. Uh, I've never felt a locker room. I spe- just that second half of the season when we were winning game after game after game, um, you know, we just we felt invincible. And you know, unfortunately, it did end in the last regular season game. We lost. We were playing only answer for the top seed. We we knew that both teams were had the same. Game conference record, winner, winner take all. And we unfortunately lost that game. and um, But we regrouped and we won a, a home playoff game against Buffalo State who'd beaten us. And and I, I just think the players just, were just like, bring on every game, bring bring on the next game. We don't, almost we didn't need to train, you know, because we needed to train from a physical point of view, From but from a mental point of view, it was like, just keep lining them up and, and we're going to keep going. And we felt, again, just let them out of the cage every game. And it's funny because we didn't speak about win and want we we never mentioned the word win and i kept using opportunity i just kept saying if we take every opportunity a new one will present itself and I, and I, I said the same thing before and after every game i said let's take this opportunity and that will allow us to kick down another door and i never said win i never said win until we got to playoffs and then i said it's time to win and then we won the semi-final, but unfortunately didn't win the final. But um, we just kept saying, "Let's take this opportunity and let's keep kicking down doors that are in front of us." And and that obviously meant let's keep winning. But I didn't want to. I've always been um, guarded against using the word "win" too much because uh, I don't think a win can define you here or there. It's more the journey that you, defines you. you. So um, we used opportunity. So maybe opportunity is is the the word.
0: Actually, I've heard two, and you can tell me which one you think is clear. So if I had to come up with your slogan or help you come up with your slogan, right? Your your big crest in the in the locker room, Plattsburgh men's soccer. It would be either keep kicking down doors or keep lining them up.
1: I think keep kicking down doors because sometimes, you know, you, you think it's closed, but you just need to kick a little harder. Um, you know, I, I think the keep line and a is more the players' attitude. I think from a coaching staff, you wanna you wanna keep getting through obstacles and doors and are obstacles.
0: And, and but that's what you rally behind, like what you just said. That's your what we call generative image. That's that phrase can communicate thousands of words uh, to your players, and it gives them a mental rallying point. Um, so I hope but you yeah. do use that. Yeah. I hope it becomes something yeah. that you well. can really rally around.
1: Yeah, well, like I said, you know, it worked this year and maybe we'll come up with a new one. You know, I do feel every season's its own story and its own journey. And and I, I think if you try and stand still and live off the past, you, you, you're you destined to stay in the past a little bit. So um, I'm open to creating a new one every year. Well said. I agree. Well, we could talk about this uh, till
0: we go blue in the face because it's just so fascinating what you've been able to do up in Plattsburgh. But shifting, if we can here for a minute, uh, to the current state and, you know, how is, how is your team doing and how has it been affected by, you know, COVID and social distancing?
1: Yeah. I mean, like everyone, we've been affected, um, you know it, it from from an initial point of view it's a little bit of sadness because we're in it for the for the relationships and we're in it for the players and the relationships have been altered in terms of personal interaction um you know i miss the players uh, plain and simple i miss them and um, i miss being around them you know we'd be in our spring season right now um and you know i miss being a training with them and, and having a laugh with them and pushing them. And, and so that's the first thing. What I will say though is it's probably not something that I'd like to admit, but I, my communication with my players has gone up significantly through this and um, You know, which I think we take for granted when we're all together and that we'll just see you at a training and we'll have a chat then. But so we we do daily phone calls at the moment where um, basically the guys have a sign up for time each week and I just give them a call and we chat. Um, you know, obviously we're talking about school, we're talking about family, um, but I've learned some things about the players in these one-on-one conversations that I probably wouldn't have learned if we were on campus. Um, so that's kind of a positive. And then we have our Zoom meetings, which we're trying to keep interesting. We're trying to have different speakers. Um, we're trying to prompt the players into some different thinking because they do have a lot more time on their hands. And, and then, you know, again, I just think the the players and, and certainly myself, we've realized how fragile it all is. And, um, you know, obviously, listen, there's, there's real problems in the world right now and, and our sports are not the most important, but that doesn't mean we can't be upset about them. Um, and so uh, I said to them the other week, I said, if you need motivation to do anything, if you need motivation to improve or to push yourself, I said, just text a spring sports athlete that you know, and ask them how it felt to lose everything, you know, without really beginning. And, you know, we hope that doesn't happen to us. And, and I don't think it will. But you know, things can change in a second. So, you know, really embrace every second of it and, and use everything you can to make the most of it. So um, it's been a real change. It's sad, it's scary. Um, but, you know, we're, we're trying to make the most of it as, as best we can.
0: So one of the themes that keeps coming up when I talk to coaches is what you just said is, you know, one of the unintended consequences of, of social distancing is this really uh, appreciation for and development of, a much deeper understanding of, of both of your players and I'm assuming your players of you. Um, and maybe that's a legacy that we can take out of this is one positive that um, there's a shift now towards really immersive conversation where maybe before it was um, more superficial. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely, you know. I mean, I think my conversations with players before this revolved around academics and soccer, you know, and just kind of doing the right things off the field. But, you know, not that we never mentioned family. We did, you know. But you know, maybe some players are a bit more guarded than others and, and you don't want to pry sometimes and you want to make sure that they feel comfortable talking to you. And some players are just more open. But I think with this, it's... it's you know, I'm trying to keep the conversations on the phone going as long as possible, and you know, so now I'm, I'm maybe a little less worried about what I'm asking, um, and it doesn't have that face to face, so it's a little easier to maybe get some stuff out of them. And I just think, um, I think a lot of them are happy to talk to someone different other than their family at the moment. Not that they don't like the family, but we're all living at close quarters right now, and there's not a lot of respite. So, um, you know, I, I do think there's been a real positive in in Again, understand them players a little bit. And, and I think from them, an appreciation that, you know, life isn't, you know, how college students are. They, they love to moan they love to complain about everything, especially male college soccer players, I believe. And they realize life isn't so bad at Plattsburgh, you know, it's all right. And, they, you know, so I, I do think there's little benefits, but I would swap all these little benefits to have more with us right now, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What about recruiting? you know what's what's that looking like right now for you
1: um it's different you know uh spent a lot of time today on the phone to to 2021s i mean we were lucky that our class was pretty much finished and before this crisis hit i do know coaches that were still waiting for kids to visit um you know that would be Really worrying, but we were pretty much finished and really happy with our class, so it didn't really impact that so much. But now, you know, I was just talking to a kid who asked me the same question. He said, "What's recruiting looking like now?" I said, "Well, you know, we've got a decent-sized database, but I would say usually by the end of spring, that database would triple in size because of the showcases and all that, um, and that's not going to happen. So I think coaches are going to have to, you know, be, I guess, a bit more selective." And we're not going to see the players as many times as we'd like, you know, and, um, none of us want to make a mistake on a kid. And so we're, you know, we're trying to get to know them a little bit in this time. We're going to have to use our connections a lot more. We're going to have to take, you know, I don't think anyone really takes too many players that they haven't seen. Um, but we might have to rely on a lot of background info, a lot of video, um, I'll be honest, I mean, I think the players out there are more worried than I am. I've said to several players, like, don't worry about it. You're still going to be recruited. and um, You might just have to be a little bit more intentional about where you want to go. And um, You might not be able to visit 10 schools. You might only be able to visit five or six. So start looking at your list. And I sent an email out to all our recruits a couple of weeks ago and said, listen, you know, don't worry about it. Just maybe spend the downtime thinking about what you really want, what's really important to you. So then don't worry about me seeing you play right now worry about what do you want what do you want to study what type of environment do you want to be in what type of people do you want to be around start thinking about those things instead of just does this culture like me or not um so i mean recruiting is depending on who you're talking to it's not my favorite thing if i'm honest Uh, i think it's a quite a fake um scenario for a lot of people um you know coaches and programs are trying to show everyone that their program's amazing and there's no problems and players are trying to show coaches that they're the best player in the world and and i think there's a lot of uh, fakeness to it and i think maybe this will allow us to have a little vulnerability a little honesty um, and I, I, I honestly believe that's one of the things that uh, allows me to be successful recruiting is I'm very, I like to think I'm authentic and I'm really honest. And I, I'm more of a war and all person as opposed to let's hide all the bad things. And, um, you know, and, and I think people can appreciate that. But i, I I'd like to see a bit more of that around, and maybe this will will bring that out to people that we can have some real conversations, and it's not, you know, kids trying to t- trying to play it off against another coach or coaches trying to play it off against another kid. Um, maybe we'll see some more human relations coming out of it than than uh, the stuff we've been seeing over the years.
0: Chris, again, standing ovation. Couldn't agree more with you. Um, you know, are there challenges? that you still haven't been able to overcome uh, with all the social distancing? You know, is there is there a barrier still in front of you that you see that you just wish you had a solution to?
1: yeah yeah I mean what what's one of the best things about being a, a college athlete it's spending time with your team it's the whole experience it's it's being you know the the cliche of your family and you know you spend all this time together you go to the gym together you go to breakfast together you you go going to class together you're living together and, and we're losing out on that experience you know I feel I feel badly for the freshmen who've never had that experience right now you know they the majority of their spring semester has been taken away from them and you know they, they haven't had spring season they haven't had um, you know the chance to be at college in, in the nice spring weather towards the end of the semester where everyone's kind of a bit carefree, rightly or wrongly. And um, and so again, a, a big part, obviously the world is changing before this online education was thriving because of costs, because of the ability to work and do school and online at the same time. But what you could never replace is athletics and, and that actual on-campus college experience. And and we don't have it and you know, I know you can read a lot of things and the same, this is going to change how the world works. A lot more people are going to be able to work remotely and stuff like that. And that's great. You know, fantastic if it works for you, but, you know, as, as athletes, as college coaches, as as um, people involved in in the sport and world, I think we crave the experience and we crave the human connection and, and being around people and, and that. I wish I had a solution to that. And Zoom meetings might fill a little bit of a gap, but I don't. I think if anyone says that their Zoom meetings are amazing and they love them, they're lying. Uh, I think they're they're a means to an end, and if we didn't have to do them, we wouldn't do them. Yeah. Chris,
0: it has been really such a pleasure uh, speaking with you and I I am just really impressed and I applaud you uh, for all that you're doing for your student athletes and and the culture that you have there at Plattsburgh. So thanks again for being on here and I, I really appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, no, I I appreciate you having me on. Uh, Again, we've all got a little bit of downtime and we're all, you know, these things can be uh, definitely development for for me. And I I listen to the other ones again. And, you know, I know you have Misha on, who is uh, easily my first reference for any issues I ever have. He's my first phone call. And and I look forward to, to listening to some of the other ones too. Thanks again, Chris. Yeah, you got it.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Performance Rising podcast. If you liked what you heard, you can find all the information about the podcast at performancerising.org and be sure to check out the Instagram page at performance rising.